Shadi Nabhan Podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan, and I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist. I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. Today, I have two social media celebrities, so I'm starstruck. Vinayak Prasad, MD, MPH, who is at UCSF, and he is a social media guru, and Saurabh Jeha, MD only. Maybe there's something after MD or something, but he is a, basically an opinionated radiologist in the city of Philadelphia. Look, the reason I brought these two together, because you know I'm a big fan of civil debates. Very important. So I noted that Dr. Prasad wrote a piece advocating no vaccine passports mandate. Dr. Jeha wrote a piece advocating vaccine passports and mandates. So I thought, hey, come on on the show. Let's talk about this. Let's see what you've got to say. And let's understand both of your views about vaccine passports. This is really important because at the end of the day, you cannot really debate on Twitter. It's just not a platform to debate. You have to debate in long format on podcasts or on uh, in print. So both of them have generously agreed to come on the show and debate vaccine passports. So Rob Jeha and Vinayak Prasad on Healthcare Unfiltered debating vaccine passports. Right here, right now. Well, guys, listeners, I'm, I'm extremely excited today because I'm kind of like, you know, uh, excited. I feel like a kid in a candy store. I've got two major celebrities who have agreed to come on the show to debate a very contentious topic, vaccine passports. Now, both of these two phenomenal writers have written about the topic, and I've read both of their essays. And, um, and I have to admit, uh, I'm like in the middle. I'm going to play just simply the moderator. I'm not going to offer an opinion, but um, we have on one side, Dr. Saurabh Jeha, who is going to debate the vaccine passports are acceptable and should be the policy that the country implements. And on the other side, Dr. Vinayak Prasad, who is going to argue that vaccine passports should not be the um, policy that's implemented. Each one of you, the way I've decided to structure the debate is, number one, we both have to agree on the definition of a vaccine passport before we start. What is vaccine passport? You both have to agree what, how we define that. Then each of you will have two minutes of an opening statement. And then I'm going to have several questions, maybe about four to five questions. And then both of you will have closing remarks. And then we're going to decide if we can reach a conclusion or we part ways uh, without any final conclusions. But first, of course, we need to have um, introductions. With over 70,000 followers on Twitter, some of them follow him. They don't like him, but they still follow him. Probably. And with over 3,000 YouTube subscribers to his YouTube channel, I have Vinayak Prasad. Please introduce yourself. Pleasure to be back, Chadi. Um, I guess uh, I'm... Uh... I'm here in San Francisco. I'm a hematology oncology doctor, just like you. Um, I'm interested in health policy. I have an appointment in epidemiology biostatistics and, uh, and I, I do some research and I play around with these things, podcasting, YouTube, 
it's all relative. You know, it's all relative. In the grand scheme of life, uh, I think neither of us, neither Sarb nor I, are actually famous, and I, I prefer to keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. I, I am a, I am a fan, as you know. I do listen to most of your uh, podcasts on YouTube. Although I have to admit, the last uh, YouTube that you actually did, you you basically you intrigued me. I just listened to the last ten minutes because you said I have to listen to the last ten minutes, and okay. I just forwarded it. And then I have on the other side Dr. Sorab Jehel with over fourteen thousand. Twitter followers and zero YouTube followers because he does not have a YouTube channel. Introduce yourself, please. I think in terms of uh, celebrity, we would be, I would be a micro celebrity if, uh, if uh, Vinay is a celebrity. Uh, I am a radiologist in Philadelphia and uh, I pontificate on life, both on the image and outside the image. And uh, we, are here because uh, we have decided that we're going to have an argument at the end of which I'm going to block Vinay. Vinay is going to block me. That's right. No, but it's, uh, I, I, sorry, I'm going to be writing to your employer to get you fired, yes. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Blocking is 2018. So. Yeah, it's 2018. It's 2020. It's time to write to uh, University of Pennsylvania Radiology Department Absolutely. about a loose cannon they have on staff. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's start by defining a vaccine passport. Vinayak, what's a vaccine passport? And then I want to get Saurabh's definition. If we agree on the definition, then we'll proceed. Okay. I guess I'd say my definition has three parts. So one, what is it? I mean, it's some proof you've been vaccinated. Um, so it can't be forged. It has to be some real solid proof that you got the shot uh, or shots, plural, depending on the, on the, on the version. Uh, two, it has to be linked to you. Uh, it has to have your photo or your thumbprint or your retina or something that links it to you. Can't be like when we were in college, Sarab and I, you know, all you needed was the uh, the driver's license of any Indian gentleman within plus or minus 10 years, you get in any pub you want. Uh, no, this has to actually be, it has to be you. Uh, and then the third thing is it has to be a gatekeeper. And so by that, I mean, we can, you know, there's so many things it could gatekeep for, but one would be international travel. There, I think, you know, I'm, I got a losing fight because, uh, you know, better or worse, people are going to do what they're going to do. Um, but the other thing you could gatekeep for potentially is what I hear it being offered for is, say, you go to the movies and, you know, you show your uh, a vaccine passport at the movie theater so you can get into the movie theater um, and, uh, and, and it would be used for movies or maybe restaurants or, I don't know, Disney World or, I don't know, things like that. So, I, so when I think about it, I think about domestic gatekeeping linked to you and some proof you actually got this thing. So Rob, do you agree with the definition of vaccine passports as Vinayak outlined? Yeah, I mean, in essence, yes. Uh, I'm not sure that um, it has to be uh, linked with a photograph, but insofar as the idea is that it has your name and something that's quite unique about it. And it kind of depends on the uh, where it's going to be used. For example, if it's down to your employer, then it would really be part of the occupational health records, which um, are much easier to collect. I think that the, the question is, you know, there's proof of that you've had immunization. So I guess I suppose I'm going to start off with my opening statement. Go ahead. Yeah. Opening so, statement. Yeah, in essence, we agree what the, um, what, what the vaccine passport is. Sure. So my position isn't at a national policy level. And I'm not suggesting that Biden says we need to have vaccine passports or CDC says. My position is that uh, at a business level, 
it may very well arise. And it may very well arise as pressure from the um, business sector. So it's more of a bottom-up um, rather than a top-down. Uh, so uh, to give you an example, um, I'll start off with low-lying fruit because that gives you a flavor of the forces behind it. And then I'll get to what I think about the forces because of course it's not, I can't just be non-judgmental and say, oh, well, it's not my, there's no debate to be had. So to give you one example, um, the Australian flagship airline Qantas has for a while, even before vaccinations came, um, came to, came, uh, started rolling out, they said that we're going to require proof of vaccination on our international flights. And why would an airline do that? I mean, why would they care? Well, you could say they would care because they'd want to get people on board. But as you can see, airlines really don't give a shit about much. If they can give you the worst service, they would give you the worst service. <laughs> oh, yeah. The reason that they did that was because of pressure from the businesses. So for the businesses to open, the airlines had to sort of promise the businesses that they were bringing back people that were safe. So it's more of a, you know, it was, it was kind of a ground up thing from the businesses. To give you another example, right now, India obviously is going through a huge uh, turmoil. And already the businesses there have started, you know, those that have international connections, because you have flight bans all over the place, you have international connections, they've started putting pressure on requirement for this phased reopening. So the pressure comes from bottom up. Now, what do I personally think about that? Well, there are two arguments. One is the scientific argument. And I'm not going to make the scientific argument because I actually agree with Vinay on the, on the scientific argument. But I will say that a business doesn't necessarily, the markets don't necessarily respond to science in the precise risk. I mean, it's not like one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, we've seen that with the way people behaved when vaccinations first came out. You told them to take the masks off. They were like, oh my God, am I on some Cambodian landmine? <laughs> so the markets will always kind of sort of lag, but the markets want to get back to normal. That's what your business wants to do. That's what your cruise ships want to do. And they are fighting not only the regulators, well, in a sense, they're kind of not fighting the regulators, they're conditional on the regulators, but they're fighting the people, the people that have for a year uh, been suffering from a fair amount of inertia. And so in that regard, I think the passports might just do the trick in, in bringing the economy much closer, um, much you know, in jumpstarting the economy. I mean, we've had an unprecedented that's, that, that, that's yeah a, that's a good that's a good opening statement i want to lower your camera just a little bit so we sure can... so so in essence i would say that um i understand the markets why they might want to go in this direction um i think if you had a top-down approach and you forced restaurants in west philadelphia that are already struggling to have vaccine passports that would be daft so the market segments and there are elements of the market that might demand it. And um, and I think that is maybe necessary to uh, get to the economy sooner, get the economy open sooner. Vinayk, your opening statement. All right. Well, you know, maybe we're going to, maybe we're going to end up meeting in the middle on this, but, uh, but uh, I'm going to fight you as long as I got you there. Um, uh, and, uh, and uh, here's how I would frame it. I would say, 
I would say that I think I think Sarbjot makes a good point, which is that science hasn't always been our guide. Proof of that: uh, outdoor masks. Uh, just uh, recently, they said you can let it go, uh, but uh, last I checked, uh, they never really had any basis for recommending it in the first place. But oh, that's just a minor little thing. Okay, anyway, let's. God forbid we actually use science for that decision. Okay, but you know, it is we can let it go now. Although some people have difficulty, I think he's right about that. Some people have difficulty. But my 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 main argument is. The argument that I simply don't think the passport, I think people think it does something and it actually doesn't do that. And so I imagine in this article I wrote, um, you know, two movie theaters. So the movie theater in the world of the passport, the movie theater in the world without the passport, movie theater in the passport world. In the world with the passport, what will the movies might look like by August for the, um, the new Marvel movie? Um, so it might be you've got a world, um, uh, let's say, let's start with the one without the passport. Um, without the passport, you've got three groups of people. You've got the people who've been vaccinated. Well, the thing about this vaccine is it's so good. If you've been vaccinated, your chance of being hospitalized or dying of this virus are essentially 0%. You know, you're good. So you go to the movie theater. If anyone else is in there with or without COVID, you're going to be okay. Group two, people who ha cannot be vaccinated. So maybe an 11-year-old kid is in there, wants to go to the movies. I would also say that group two, largely, um, your odds in the, in the world without a passport Terrific. I mean, you're not you're unlikely to get sick, especially as cases are plummeting, just like they have in Israel and just like they are right now. Um, your chances and and you know and and the fact that being a kid is is naturally better than being an older person. Group three: people who have chosen not to be vaccinated. So we're thinking about that August date. Everyone who wanted to get it can get it. Now you're choosing not to get it. If you go to the movie theater without a passport, the risk is on you. You're taking the risk. You could get SARS-CoV-2. You could get really sick. Um, that risk will be lower because a lot of people around you have been vaccinated, but that risk is, is nonetheless real. Um, maybe there's a few people in group one who've got rituximab, B-cell depleting therapy. They're at slightly higher risk for you being in there. They might choose not to go, to be honest with you. Okay, now let's think about the world with the passport. In the world with the passport, the first group, they're still in the theater. We've been vaccinated. We're doing well. Um, and, you know, maybe our safety is from, you know, 99.9999999999. You add a few more nines. Like, we're safe. We're a little safer. There's the second group, the kids. They were already very well, very safe. Now they're slightly safer. Okay, the third group, the people who chose not to be vaccinated. Well, they've been turned away at the door. They're banned. And what I think most people think is they're banned, they go home, they pick up the knitting needles and they start crocheting. No, of course not. I mean, but I think people think they go to their houses. I think what really happens is um, what they do instead matters a lot. And if they get angry and they go to somebody's house and there's like 20 of them and they decide like, we're gonna make a movie theater. We don't need you, screw you. We'll make a movie theater in my garage. Um, the risk of getting SARS-CoV-2 may go up. They may even drive pandemic spread. Or what if, God forbid, we know what happens in America when you start to impose unprecedented rules. There's some tiny fraction of people who get really angry. And if they get really angry in an environment with easily available firearms and things like this, bad things can happen. And so I guess my simple point is that I just don't, don't think it's gonna help anybody. I mean, I think I understand why you feel like it will help you, but the reality is this alternate world where you enforce the passport, um, it's a volatile world. There can be one bad action that uh, that cancels all the benefit. Um, the people may congregate outside of the setting and still spread SARS-CoV-2. You may not even change that. And I think the root of it is like, why do people want the passport? I think people think like, and you can see it, even though I've been vaccinated, they don't yet feel safe. And they feel like, I think this is Sarb's point, they feel like they need the passport to really be safe. Not only am I vaccinated, people around me are vaccinated. And I just think that that's just factually incorrect. This vaccine is so good. Once you've been vaccinated, you can feel safe. You can. 
So, so you, you both actually make very, very good points. The point I think Saurabh bring more economics and, and the businesses have dictated things. And I guess that my first question to both of you is, if I'm a business owner, whether I am the movie theater, Vinayak, or I'm the airlines, or I'm a restaurant, I should and could dictate who my clientele should be. I mean, it is my business, right? right? I mean, I, you know, there are certain restaurants that they will not serve you unless you're wearing a sports jacket or a suit. They just right. won't. Yeah. I have been, by the way, kicked out of restaurants because I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, some restaurants do that and they realize they are sacrificing that segment of folks because this is how they do it. Uh, what's the problem from a private business if they feel they can protect their employees? And this is, isn't that their freedom of choice as a business owners, Vinayak? I guess I'm sympathetic that I think you're right, that they're free to choose that. I just think I would argue that it is a bad choice for them. It's a bad choice for a couple of reasons. One, you know, if their staff, I mean, I guess, I guess the simple reason is I just don't think it's going to change the safety of the people who have been vaccinated, which would be the reason they're doing it. They're doing it to like entice the people who've been vaccinated in and keep the people who haven't been vaccinated out under the guise that the vaccinated people will be safer, presumably. I just think that factually is probably not the case. But the next thing I would say is this, why it's bad business. There are a lot of people that may not be vaccinated. You still want their dollar bills. And then the other thing is it introduces volatility. Um, what do I mean by that? You know, people are under stress. You know, I've never seen them like this. You see, you see what they like on Twitter. Every day is a feeding frenzy. They're hungry. They want to string up somebody. They want to find some victim of the day to, to fire from their job and do something. They're bloodthirsty. People are not in a good emotional place. And I would say that if you really are this restaurant and you really want to tell your front door person to start enforcing this, I suspect, unless you're in like, um, you know, the pocket of San Francisco where you're, you're good, you know, you're in a high vaccine acceptance community, you start doing this in Indiana where I'm from, you start doing this where you're in Chadi, I mean, you're going to find a lot of people are not going to be happy. And that could blow, you know, the, the first rule of business is you, you don't want to get confrontations on your doorstep. And so I think just as a matter of business, it's not good, it's not good business. So Rob. What's the issue? I mean, I think Vinay, yeah, so, he, so, he, out, he outlines actually a good, I mean, I really, his argument is very sound. Yeah. He's just saying, yeah. these people that you don't allow them to fly the airplane sure. to the business, they're going to go and congregate and they can be angry. No, the Vinay certainly uh, talks about one possible outcome and uh, in the universe of possibilities, that is one plausible outcome. The other is that people at the um, margins, I mean, we're really talking about people at the margins, not those with entrenched opinions, they might hitherto have not bothered getting a vaccination, but pushed by the inconveniences might end up getting one. I can imagine a husband and wife, the wife is vaccinated, but the husband has some moral objections. And the wife says, look, if you want to go out for that romantic meal, you need to get vaccinated. And if the husband loves his wife more than he hates <laughs> vaccines, he might... You know, it, it can play out in multiple ways, but I, I do grant him that uh, that particular possibility is there. Now, with regards to uh, what Vinay is describing, he's describing something which I also described, which is market segmentation. So to give you two examples, the first is, let's take um, a hole-in-the-wall Chazwan restaurant in West Philadelphia. It's called Chili Chazwan, very tasty food. Um, they're not going to push for vaccine passports. Right because their clientele tends to be from a much more heterogeneous economic uh, diverse, diversity, and they're not going to necessarily be able to 
survive having 20 to 25% of their clientele being turned away. So that's very different to um, Philadelphia you know, uh, Philharmonic Orchestra performance, where the clientele again is going to be very different. So different businesses will react differently. So I'm not sure that you could generalize any of their experiences to wider businesses. The question really is, and this I think is where it's kind of an impasse, but it's not really. The question really is why would a business want to introduce the passport in the first place? And I think there are two reasons for this. The first reason is that um, they'd want to actually open up as soon as possible. And so I do agree with Vinay that if you have 10% vaccine uh, acceptance, then no business can survive in that community with imposing a vaccine passport. So in a sense, these regulations really only work when you have some buy-in from the crowd. And that's why I think that they are market-driven, whatever your market ends up being. So if you have a place where you have 20% acceptance, you're not going to... Vaccine passports would be um, just not... It just won't be possible. They'd be idiotic and they won't be possible. You know, but you've heard about Brookline, Massachusetts, which... Uh, it's apparently the uh, smartest zip code in the world, <laughs> maybe just in Massachusetts. Uh -huh. And they are not throwing away their masks despite the CDC guidelines. <laughs> so, that sort of place where if you're having 70% vaccine acceptance rate and the 30% that don't accept the vaccine, a lot of them are going to be pushed to go and get vaccinated. Now, will, you know, will that in the end lead to a net increase in vaccination? That that's an empirical question, and that's one that can't that, that you know I can only offer you um, plausibility and judgments. And but I can I can tell you where the where where the gray zone is and where the margins are. And the margin is going to be the person who uh, wasn't going to get vaccinated because didn't think the risk, but because of the inconveniences imposed on him. Oh, I'll give you one more example before you give the mic to Vinay, because this is instructive. It's instructive because it's personal. I canceled a trip to Cancun with the family. It's the third time I postponed that trip. It's been, it's been on my shoulders like a monkey. It was last year, I postponed it to July, thinking, oh, things will be over by July. Then I postponed it to February. So we're out to go with the family. You know, I was vaccinated. Um, my wife got her first shot. And the kids, yeah, kids are kids. They'll wear their 95s and shut up. <laughs> that was the whole idea. And... Um, and then the CDC came up with this guideline where you had to have a negative test. And I thought, well, you know, God forbid, here I am in Cancun with a positive RT-PCR on one of my kids, or even myself. You never know. It could be a false, false positive. I'd be stuck there. You give me that and you give me the vaccine passport, I will choose the vaccine passport any day. You know, in an ideal world, I don't want restrictions. But if you're going to restrict me, I'm going to go for the yeah, the path of least restrictive path. Vinayak, what, what's, um, I, I mean, as if uh, Saurabh knew my next question, I mean, maybe vaccine passports are a way to incentivize more people to get vaccination, allows us to return to normalcy faster. Now, we're obviously provided that vaccines are available. We realize India, Brazil, and the Middle East, they're struggling getting this. But in a, in a perfect world, if vaccines are available, wouldn't that incentivize people to be more vaccinated so they become welcome at concerts and airplanes? And I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's 
I think, I mean, it's a fair argument to make. It's a fair argument. I mean, I think Sarb said the thing that I was going to say, which I think is the right thing, which is that at the end of the day, nobody really knows if, if that will result in a higher fraction of people being vaccinated than a world without. You already have an incentive to be vaccinated as an adult. That incentive is not dying of SARS-CoV-2. It's a pretty good incentive. That's why I jumped at it. I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't like SARS-CoV-2. I don't want to be hospitalized and on a, you know, on a respirator. And so that's why I got, to got the vaccine. Uh, you know, that was a incentive, a pretty good one. Now what you're saying is the new incentive is, you know, if that wasn't good enough, um, you know, you're going to make it very difficult for me to do some of these things that I want to do, like go to the movie theater, et cetera, until I do this. And I think it is plausible that there is some change in the uptake of it. Um, it's also plausible that that change is very, very small for the huge, you know, talk about trade-offs. It's a big a logistic cost trade-off. Um, and that fraction of people might be small. And then the other possibility is unforeseen consequences, which are the things I've described, which is that some people might get very, very angry about it and they'll lash out. One, two lashing outs, and you've negated all the benefit of, you know, an extra, what, quarter of 1% getting vaccinated. But I guess the, what I'll come back to is this. You know, we're talking about a theoretical day in the future. Maybe we're talking about June, maybe we're talking about July, a day, I think, when all Americans have had a chance to get a vaccine. I think if we started doing passports now before Americans have had a chance to get a vaccine, like at a restaurant, I think some people will be irritated because imagine, like, you know, it's not that I don't want one, it's just that I haven't gotten a turn into line. So I think the fairer time is when we've all had a chance. And I guess in that time, where will we be? Like right now we're at what, 40 some thousand cases, seven day average, and it's plummeting. I mean, what if we're at a place by the summertime where the caseload is super low, where every place looks like San Francisco with, you know, le far less than 1% test positivity. I guess, you know, why are we doing it? Like, you know, things are already good. I mean, you know, there are a few bureaucrats whose goal in life is to get, you know, they're thinking about, um, you know, the most you can push vaccination um, there are different measures you can do. You can, Emily Oster said, you could pay people to be vaccinated. That's another incentive, right? Instead of, instead of a passport, you can just pay them. Uh, but that's an incentive that many find unpalatable. This but, is an incentive but, that others find unpalatable. Do, but you do bring a very good point. I'd like Saurabh to answer this. Saurabh, I mean, I think if we get to a positivity rate that's really very low, what are we accomplishing? I, I think that's an important point. Do you have a response to that? Yeah, I'm not an immunologist, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just. That doesn't uh, stop anyone on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I pontificate. But, but, I, uh, but you know, I, I think I think I think India is quite instructive in this regard. It depends on what you think India's problems were. India had um, seroprevalence around fifty percent, uh, Delhi and many other places, and you could say that it wasn't fifty; it was forty or thirty-five, but it was still pretty high. And and they had the increase in the seroprevalence as the data went over time. Um, and their cases plummeted, and um, and things were going pretty well. Now I know people say, well, India undercounted deaths, but still, uh, I think you know Vincent Rajkumar's tweet, tweet was largely accurate in the description of what was going on. Although he was he, un he underestimated what that second wave was going to do. So the the, the 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 question really is the broader question is, and it's a public health question. It's a question of both science and uncertainty is what do you want to do with, um, with the, uh, uh, how do you want to reach this um, immunity? Are you going to rely on uh, a certain, uh, certain number like 50, 60% and accept that 15, 20% will come from natural immunity, getting you to 80%? And uh, will you at that point uh, um, say, okay, everything is fine and everything is fine and everything was fine in India, people were, you know, people weren't wearing masks by February. Things had opened. Delhi restaurants were packed. 
people were outdoors and and then you see what happened. I'm not suggesting this is going to happen over here, but my point being that there's always going to be this edge of uncertainty that even when things calm down, there's going to be that. And it depends how you want to deal with it. I don't know what the answer there is, which way you should go. But in the event that we're trying to tell, um, you know, the, the, the message from India really is that the only way out of this pandemic is through vaccination. That's the only way to actually deal with the variants. If you leave a certain... Um, uh, you know, uh, population unvaccinated. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you risk creating a variant? So the point being that Vinay is right that in July, if things are going back to normal and the positivity rate is low, that this particular thing would seem even less palatable as a measure. But I wonder what our, you know, what our goal should be and that may be a different discussion but that's really i mean of course you can't get to zero covid which is of course unrealistic as well but you push vaccinations to the extent that uh, um and I, and I don't know i mean if in a year's time we come back with a situation like india had um so so, so no i mean that these are good points but vinay what, what's the i mean have you heard that other countries are mandating this? I mean, in other words, it may be something that if you are, if you want to travel internationally, right. you may have to have a proof sure. of vaccination. You're almost sure. like you're, you know, so you're stuck in San Francisco forever unless you show something. Is that, have you heard? I haven't heard, I, I don't know what other countries are demanding, but is this, how would we handle that if, if this, if this ends up being the case? I mean, I guess at the end of the day, no one can control what other countries do on their borders. They're free to do what they wish. And in fact, some other countries are quite draconian. I think my understanding is Australia, New Zealand, you wanted to go there, not, you know, it doesn't matter what you test and doesn't matter what, I don't, I, I, until very recently, it even didn't matter you were vaccinated. You got to spend two weeks in quarantine. They'll feed you, they'll bring you the meals. You pay $3,000, you stay in a hotel, then they'll let you into the country. But once you get in the country, you know, it's like having the wristband in, in uh, Walt Disney World. You know, you're free to do whatever you want. I think that the difference here is that we're talking about, you know, that gate checking at every door. It's going to be a lot more onerous than just checking into the country. Um, you know, and again, I don't, I don't speak about, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not that yeah. interested in what they do there. That's their business. Uh, I'm interested in this country, which is a very different country. Uh, I guess the only thing I'd say about the India comparison is, I mean, you know, point well taken. I think that India, I mean, all these experts thought, you know, people didn't know what they were talking about with India. And then of course it, it has exploded. Um, but I think the U.S. is in a different place because we're at 46% one dose vaccines. Um, we're at probably another chunk of people. I dare not say what I think that chunk is, of people who've recovered from natural immunity. Um, I think this idea of variance is always a real concern, but the probability of variant equals uh, or is proportionate to the cumulative number of replications globally. And so if you really want to curtail variants, you're going to have to vaccinate these other countries that we are apparently not doing much for. We're talking about vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds. You know, that's obviously after all adults in this country who've been wanted to be vaccinated are vaccinated, 12 to 15 year olds in this country will be at dose for dose, less benefit for, you know, theoretical probability of variant than giving those doses to other countries and giving it to people who are older, more frail. Um, but I guess I would say to, I mean, the overall argument is, I think it will be the case for international travel. There's no escaping, but you know, I guess I think the kinds of people who are gonna be irritated are not the kind of people who like to go glo globetrotting. Globetrotting people are happy to, I think, do the passport stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking about the Americans, you know, who don't like doing these things and being mandated to do them by businesses. And, and they're not the kinds of people who go globetrotting. Um, 
Saurabh, I've heard uh, sometimes on social media statements as such, uh, saying, if you are, if you do not believe in vaccine passports, then you are anti-vaxxer. If you do not believe in vaccine passports, you are jeopardizing the health of others and you are socially, scientifically, and morally irresponsible. What do you say to these folks? Unless you agree with them, then how do you defend them? Well, you know, uh, you know how these uh, discussions go on social media. You're either, you know, it's all, it's all Anakin Skywalker. You're either with me or you're my enemy. You know, George Bush, you're either with us or with the terrorists. How about none of the above? Uh, uh, that's just the nature of um, discourse these days. Uh, and because scientific arguments assume moral positions. And, and I don't think that, uh, that it's true that people like me, who is very pro-vaccine, um, I've been vaccinated against a lot of things, including rabies and jab B and cephalitis. Wow. Yes. I was taking a trip down to Kerala and I looked at the probability of jab B and cephalitis. It was so low that my wife said to me, do you really need to get vaccinated? It's costing $350. I said, no, I'm pro-vaccine. So you can <laughs> call me a vaccine nutcase. But um, no, I, I love the stuff. I, I don't understand immunology, but I, I love vaccinations. I think they're the greatest. Uh, I love them too. Medical... I've gotten yellow fever. I've gotten jaw. I've got yellow fever in me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, think, I, think, I do. I got the other you know, I'll tell you what. If I, if I, if both I, vaccines. I uh, if I, if I go to, if I go to Africa, um, in, in, if, and a trip is planned into the um, uh, Zaire area, um, public Congo, I'm going to get I Ebola vaccine if okay. I can. But so, so, so okay. I, I know you. I, uh, I know the thing, the thing is that. I want to get to your point. I want to get to your point, Charlie. Oh, I want to answer this. So the, the, the reality is that people. They take their advocacy for certain things and believe yeah. that somebody who doesn't meet them with the same zest is anti. So you know, it's like so. It's obviously it doesn't mean that you're. You know, vaccinations are very nuanced. I do appreciate that there is uh, much to be said about vaccinating the high risk with um, extreme fervor and um, not using that same fervor for vaccinating the low okay. risk because so do you believe in vaccine mandates do you believe that college students should not return to college without vaccines do you believe that my kids who are going to high school next year should not go to high school unless they're vaccinated do you believe in that well it depends on whether uh, firstly I don't yes or no that. question no, 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 you, you can't, you can, you can, don't, don't be a George Bush over here. I'm the moderator, I love that. You're, you're either with me or with the terrorists. Uh, no, 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 so the, the thing is, I don't think vaccination is a big deal, right? So what did he say? That, I didn't hear him. I don't think vaccination, getting vaccinated is a big deal. It's not a big deal, no, it's not. But a big I don't, deal. But, but then on the other hand, I don't think somebody who doesn't want to get vaccinated is necessarily evil. Of I think people not. have yeah. lots of things that, you know, again, you know, I got vaccinated for jab B encephalitis. You could say that there's a bit of irrationality in that. <laughs> um, for the, for the, well. Because I, I saw a little bit of a red spot in Kerala and I was cycling through the paddy fields. But um, uh, <laughs> I want to I answer this question on social media. <laughs> Let me interrupt you for a second. Because you got to the, you got to the, you got the I'm cycling. Trying, I'm, okay, trying, I'm getting to the vaccine mandates, really. Okay, here, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hit that too. I mean, here, here's what I want to say about this issue. I would say that, you know, we all agree. There's a fraction of people in this country. They are irrational. You can't even talk to them. They somehow think vaccines cause all these maladies in life. They're over here in this bucket. And then around them, there's a bigger bucket of like vaccine hesitant people who may be influenced by their bullshit that they're peddling on social media. Fine. They're a problem. Sure. 
Facebook, Twitter, all these people, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but this is a problem in society. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got anxious people cooped up in their house, losing their sanity on Twitter, saying very crazy things like the thing you said, which is that if you're opposed to vaccine passport, you're, you're in with them. You're just as bad as those people. That moralizing, shaming, it's irrational. I mean, it's not even, no scientist would dare say that it's, you're either on all the way that end of the spectrum if you even have any questions about passports and mandates. Um, I also think that the J&J &J vaccine tells you a lot, Chadi. Tells you a lot. The moment I heard six cases uh, of, of the CVT and VIT in, in women, you know, we're talking about like a 20 year old woman who's, you know, maybe brain herniating because of this thing. The first thing they tweet on social media was, oh, that's nothing. There's a 16% chance you get blood clot if you have COVID. You know, they put the meme, OCPs, there's a big chance you get a blood clot. You know, nobody, this is nothing in comparison. I was like, yeah, but with, you know, we're talking about CVT, which is not the same as a blood clot in the leg and COVID is not 16%. Okay, that's a bit high. I don't know where you got the stat, but their immediate response is to defend without getting data. What is that? What do I mean by this? We are creating a scientific mind where there's a fraction of people, their only goal in life is to oppose the anti-vax people. They're irrational in the other direction. And to have a sensible conversation in the middle is like almost impossible. And so I guess the, my answer to your question is, I think, I think it probably is a mistake and is, I, I suspect it might even be illegal to mandate uh, college vaccination under an EUA. I think it, it may not even be good policy. Again, I, I wanna see where we are in the fall. Again, by the fall, you may be in a situation where you don't need to do it. So if you don't need to do it, we don't need to do things we don't need to do. Um, I also think it, it, it may be a violation of the law because there's some universities such uh, that have interpreted this, the laws differently about whether or not you can mandate under EUA. And I will just point out, what if you did mandate this and a 30-year-old got J&J &J and had this side effect? Can she litigate against the university? I don't know the answer to the question. I think the indemnification is very broad and would even cover the mandate, but I think you're not in a good situation. And I guess if you're living in a world where people are polarized and foaming at the mouth about SARS, about vaccines in general, you want to tread lightly and trying to encourage uptake without using brute force, without compulsion. I mean, I think you want to come something in the middle. And so I guess I would say, um, you know, I, I don't think kids needed it to go back to school. I don't think they needed to go to summer camp. I don't think your kids need a mandate. I don't think they need it at college. I think we should see where they are. If in fact we get to the fall and cases are super high and the vaccine has more safety record and it's looking really good, uh, and we're talking about mRNA vaccine for people, then maybe I will change my mind. I'll say, okay, now you can mandate it. I didn't expect it would be so bad right now. But if we're looking like we are looking right now, 44% one dose, you know, maybe another X amount of percent already recovered, uh, cases plummeting, I find it hard to justify. You're just kind of, I don't know, you're making a problem when you don't need to make a problem. So, Saurabh, there are a couple so of I have things. Not there, there's a couple of things I wanted to respond to. I wanted to comment on the J&J &J pause and the unpause and, and the denominator and all of that research, because, you know, you can make an argument that, you know, I mean, I'd like you to comment on that and, and respond to the J&J, &J because I, you know, I think it's an important topic. It's, it's away from vaccine passports, but I, I think it's a good couple of minutes discussion. And then, and then the vaccine mandates. Should my kids not be allowed to go to high school unless they are vaccinated? Yeah, let me answer the mandates first. The mandates, uh, again, depends on what you mandate. And uh, the uh, ferocity of the mandate depends, uh, uh, is proportional to the inconvenience of getting vaccinated. I think that uh, we are in a position at the moment where the safety signals from the two broad, the two um, Moderna and Pfizer yeah. are... Um, exceptionally good. And um, I can only, you know, whenever you talk about anything, it's 
in terms of you can only do it by anchoring on the past. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I don't know the figures offhand, so it's more a question rather than an answer. The first is BCG. So you know that everybody in India gets a BCG, right? Yeah. Um, I've got one, birthmark. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not terribly efficacious. Uh, it has not been studied as rigorously as this these do. So this was in the day where days where um, uh, vaccines were not really randomized. It wasn't done in, I mean, you've been giving it for a long time, but in terms of the safety signals, they're very hard to actually, that's one. The second is rubella. Now rubella is obviously given to kids, despite the fact that it's the adults who suffer, the kids don't get anything. So we do have precedence. And I think with pre the thing with having a precedence is it gives you an anchor. It gives you something to work on. Now, I agree that if that was wrong, you can't do something that's wrong again. So, you know, it's just because you kind of keep replicating the wrongness. But in terms of the, the idea that, um, that vaccinations as a public good or vaccinations in children, or in um, we, we already have considerable precedence of that. So that's one point. The second point that I want to raise is that when you talk about the legality of it, I, I, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but I would make two points. One is that in, we're in a public health emergency. We have been, I mean, this is not normal. So in a public health emergency, a lot of, lot of litigation gets suspended. One of the reasons why, um, thanks to a Supreme Court decision, um, you can't sue the vaccine manufacturers was that you know, the, the, the real side effects that you got, small but real, would, if you had, if you sued them in, um, you know, uh, outside these vaccine courts, you'd have lawyers making shitloads of money and uh, manufacturers would be buried. And then, so we do recognize that there is a public good and our way that we do tort and business gets modified for that public good. So I'm not sure about the legality of it or the, uh, or, or whether, you know, you can mandate that. Now, the mandate is a local decision. It's a local business decision. Now, you could say that they're not te technically <clears throat> businesses, they get money from the government, etc. So nevertheless, it's one that is based on their needs and what they think is going to be. And this is where, this is where the kind of um, local information and the risk tolerance comes into it. I would be reluctant to overcome that is what I would say. The question isn't whether or not that should be mandated. The question is, what would you do to not, to not mandate it? You'd have to do what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida, which is say that we're not gonna have any vaccine passports and that's not helping the, the, cruise, the cruise, uh, cruise industry isn't happy with him for that because he's thinking about the whole economy uh, as a whole for Florida and they're thinking about themselves. And so there's a conflict there. So I think, you know, I, I think we, we, we enter an arena where there are contradictions. And with regards to your um, question about the J&J, &J, uh, I think that the, any risks, any risks that you, that you take, that you consider have to be, have to bear in mind uh, the or competing risks. So I agree with Vinay that uh, cerebral vein thrombosis is not the same as deep vein thrombosis for two reasons. Firstly, 
the treatment can be slightly different, or in this particular case, heparin can make it worse. And then secondly, you're talking about the brain, and you can lead to herniation. Um, but on the other hand, you know, a submassive PE is also not terribly good either. And you can, you can end up getting a thrombolysis for that and um, cardiovascular collapse, et cetera, et cetera. It comes down to what you think the acceptable risk is. And this is a question which I've posed many times philosophically uh, uh, in other arenas. You know, um, the real reality is that outliers drive decision-making much more than we'd like it to. Um, and what is our general acceptance for outliers? And I think that the risk of J&J probably comes below what we would consider our general acceptance for outliers in this country in which there is general intolerance of outliers compared to other places. So I don't think the FDA took the unpaused decision lightly. You know, these people are people that are um, exceptionally attuned to public feelings. The public here it amplifies rare events evidenced by the fact that if you have a young kid dying of sudden cardiac death, uh, thing, suddenly you know people start testing left, right, and center. So it's a very risk intolerant nation, even though it was founded on risk seekers. Um, I don't think their decision to unpause it was taken very lightly. Um, and, and I think that it came below the threshold for outliers that you generally have over here. But you know, all of this kind of wraps up into two fundamental things. And I don't know whether me and Vinay 100% agree on this. The first is, what do we believe is our goal at this particular point in time? I would say that we agree that we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible, which is why I applauded his message on throw your masks off, the one that got him thrown out of his institution. <laughs> because I, it did, I saw... It, it, uh, it did get some people who don't know anything yeah. angry, yeah. Yeah, uh, because, you know, that's that's just pure psychology, right? That's just pure psychology. Um, you And it's exactly that premise that makes me somewhat sympathetic towards vaccine passports. The idea that you get the jab and you're different from the ones that don't get the jab. That is essentially what I'm going on. Yeah, no, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna just comment on the J and J that when yeah. they did the pause for the vaccine, I was yeah. actually against that. I, I actually felt yeah. that it was um, a little bit of an overreaction because yeah. I did feel that whatever it is, it's rare compa in comparison, and I felt the risk of uh, SARS-CoV-2 was significantly higher. And if you recall, me and you did a clubhouse on this, and, and I admit you you convinced me that it is was important to get at least the data out there, to get the denominator out there. At the same time, you know, we could start making the same argument where, you know, the folks with long with who believe in long COVID, they will say, well, you know, we, we don't have, you know, it, it's rare, but we need to have the data as well. But, but I, you know, I, I came around, I was against the pause and then, uh, I was with the pause, although with the tragedy in India, I felt that there should be no pause. All vaccines should be given to everyone possible. So just, just an editorial comment, but uh, feel free. Go ahead. No, I think that's well put. Um, I guess my only thought here is, you know, I think Sarb's right in the sense that the goal is once the vaccines, the mRNA show how good they are, the goal is to get people to take them. 
And I think the right answer was what I wrote in January, which is once you get it, you don't need to wear the mask and these precautions. You almost got canceled. You almost got canceled that month. That was the one that rubbed them the wrong way. I mean, I guess I, I just, I just want to, I think, I think it just some, at some point we're going to have to step back and be like, what was it the thing that VP said that got him so angry? And it was, it was a tweet that said, um, it said, I, someday I want to write a children's story. I want to write a book, a children's book about a bear. The bear sat in his house waiting until it was perfectly safe to go outside. And he always thought of a reason why it wasn't perfectly safe and he never went outside. That was it. And what is it? It's a parable, which means if you think you can never reopen schools until cases go to zero, if you think you can never throw away the mask until somebody proves with a thousand percent surety that no one will ever, ever get COVID, you'll never take off the mask and you'll never open school because it's never going to be a perfectly safe world. So it actually had a point. And, and they are acting the way I, I said they were. They're irrational. Look at Brookline. They claim to be smart, but obviously they're not that smart because the outdoor mask mandate is the dumbest thing ever. The CDC said don't do it, and they still impose it, showing their ideologues, their ideologues. It's, a, it's, a, it's their tribe. Their tribe is above reason in their brain. What has happened to these people? They're totally off the base. Um, so, so, okay, so, so I, I guess um, this is what, this was the purpose of my tweet, to point out that sometimes you can be so irrationally opposed to any risk, you paralyze yourself. And they got quite angry with it, quite angry. And the people who got angry with it, I mean, they have to ask themselves. I mean, it's one thing to get angry, but to say things like, um, you know, that that like oh, I'm a bad doctor, a bad human being for for 180 characters. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, if you want to make that kind of claim, you have to do a little more digging. But no, I mean, certainly not for a tweet. Um, but yeah, I think it, it speaks to how crazy people are. I mean, Chadi, I mean, just if we stand back, isn't it crazy that a lifetime of doing work? not a lifetime, but you know, 10 years of doing work and then 180 characters and somebody uses that as a referendum of who you are rather than all that work, be that as, and, and my tweet was damn right. It was right then and it's right now. They were wrong then and they're wrong now <laughs> and, and they're still mad. So I don't know what to say. Well, look, uh, first of all, I do believe that you both agree more than disagree. Although yeah. if somebody reads your separate pieces and I would like to actually um, have a, have a link of both pieces to you. But uh, if somebody reads those, they may see more disagreement. So I hope they'll listen to this podcast and I hope they'll listen to this, um, to this episode. We have a couple of minutes where each one of you will have concluding remarks. Okay, uh, let me go first this time. Passport. So go ahead, Vinayk. Okay, I mean, I guess I agree with you. There's a lot of similarity and a lot of difference. I mean, the similarity is we both believe uh, the vaccines, at least the mRNA is really, really good. Uh, the J&J &J is good for older people, um, you know, maybe men. Uh, 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 we both believe it's good and it is the way out of this pandemic. And I guess my philosophy is I say that, um, you know, the goal right now is to um, give it to everyone who wants one as quickly as possible. And then the people who don't want one, I view it as it's like a book. You know, I, I uh, you know, I've written a book, and I'll tell you something. The surest way to get someone not to read your book is to give them a copy. You need to get them to want to buy a copy, right? That's the difference. You want them to buy the copy of the book. Why? Because if you give them a book, they're just going to throw it in the pile of books they're not going to read. Um, similarly, we want people to want to get vaccinated, and what that means is you need to uh, tell them the truthful things about the vaccine that make them want to seek out and do it. Um, I'm a little concerned about external coercion and pressure and uh, these sorts of things, because I do think Americans are not in a good place right now and they may not respond to the squeeze in ways you predict. Um, for instance, if you did the things in school, I worry that like some people may pull their kids from school 
Uh, and those might be the kids like who most desperately need to learn. And I also think that people's um, thermostat on their risk, um, ben, you know, the thermostat on where they set their risk is just off the mark. They're, maybe some people are too anxious and some people are too flippant. It's hard to find the right center. And so, I don't know, I'm a little bit more reluctant than Saurabh is for these kinds of things like passports. That's my closing Understood. remark. Saurabh, your concluding remarks. Yeah, yeah this whole um, vaccination has been poisoned since August last year, you know, yeah. the people casting doubts that this is Trump vaccine and yeah. casting doubts on the FDA and CDC. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess because America's politicized system is a mess. The science got politicized, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I will say that um, I do sympathize with libertarians quite a bit, except on one issue. I think they make a song and dance about vaccines. Um, excessively, I think they over philosophize it. I think if there's one group that's taken a bit of a hammering at this pandemic is the libertarians, because they just have not been able to adapt. You know, you, if in the beginning they came out against restrictions, fine, against masks. And whatever lifeline has been offered to reopen the economy is just keeps being rejected. And uh, I'm not suggesting that. Um, the answer to that is coercion, but in some sense, I don't think there is any answer to that in the sense that those with very entrenched views against vaccinations, um, like that uh, author, uh, Alex Berenson, you're not going to convince him with any data. You're not going to convince him with any nudges. Uh, the New Jersey governor's offered beer to young people to get vaccinated. Uh, uh, I hope he's offered three or four beers, not just one. You, those sort of things can work, but the reality is you're only really, the only people that you can work on are those at the margins. And some of those may respond to inconveniences. I think, you know, I think that there's probably going to be a bunch in South Dakota, in Texas, that will say no to vaccinations. And you don't want a scenario where the virus becomes endemic in certain parts of the United States and the endemicity, if I may use that term, is somewhat correlated to political views because this country is already extremely polarized. You don't need something else to add another layer. I mean, they're polarized about jokes, they're polarized about religion, they're polarized about God, everything. Yeah, now you want to, you know, you, you got to have a virus again polarizing them. So these are the risks. I mean, if you were, if you were like this person that was from outer space and. And he said, look, I want the United States to survive another 100 years. I, I would say that um, another layer of polarization isn't going to help. So as much as possible, one should try and push for vaccinations. And if businesses do it, that is very much within the ethos of the American system, because, you know, businesses can do whatever the hell they want. That's really what every libertarian should push for. People can make the decisions what they want and businesses can weigh their costs. So in essence, I don't think that you should have a decree from uh, the president or the CDC. And I think you should let your local communities decide what you they want to do. And hopefully many of them will decide to push for vaccinations. Get the local markets to speak. Look, guys, I think this was great. This was... Uh... So much fun. I can't believe we, we literally finished an hour talking about complete nonsense. 
And I hope that uh, listeners realize that you both lost the debate and I win. No, I, <laughs> I, um, I really want to thank both of you for- uh, We're ready to block each other now on Twitter. And right ready. Oh, it doesn't seem like nothing really happened about blocking for sure, but uh, I certainly will report you both to your employers and make sure that you're <laughs> aware of yeah. your uh, mis, uh, misgivings. No, thank you so much. Uh, you know, anytime that you give, uh, give me some time on the air, I'm very grateful because I know you are very busy. Uh, Vinayak on social media and Sorab, I don't know actually what you do during the day, <laughs> much nothing. But uh, appreciate your time and thank you. And look for this will be airing for listeners. This will be airing actually. We're taping this on May 4th. 2021 and it will air on May 11th 2021. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Okay folks, thank you so much for taking the time and listening to this podcast. I appreciate your support. Please check out my YouTube channel named Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Subscribe to it and you'll get updates on all of the videos that we upload there. You will see videos from some of these podcast episodes, not the entire episode, but some of them. And uh, please let me know how we are doing. You can subscribe to the show here on all podcast outlets, as you know, but you can direct message me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N. You can send me an email to shadinabhan.oo at outlook.com or visit my website, shadinabhan.com. Uh, you can find this podcast pretty much every podcast outlet that you can see and subscribe, rate, review, and refer a colleague. I very much would appreciate that. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying by Isaac Newton, which I believe it's rather appropriate for today's podcast. To every action, there's always opposed an equal reaction. To every action, there's always opposed an equal reaction. Until next time, take care and talk to you next week.